This time on Watchers of Tomorrow, Picard dies! Welcome to Watchers of Tomorrow, the podcast that can exist free from the limitations of matter. My name is Gep, and I'm joined, as always, by my friend and co-host, Dr. Izix. Hi! And I've already forgotten what we're doing, because this is probably the single most forgettable episode of Star Trek that I have ever <laughs> encountered. Well, it basically involves plot elements from several other different episodes. So, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> there... There was only, there's two parts to this episode that I remember, and I didn't remember that either of them were part of this episode. Because they're kind of, I guess, uh, tropes that show up in Star Trek, <laughs> um, mainly TNG, but a little bit of uh, original series as well, over and over again. So, you know. Though I will say, so I was thinking about it, I'm like, this is probably the contender for the world's most forgettable Star Trek episode, but there may be other ones I'm not remembering. Yes. <laughs> and, hey, do you remember? Do you remember the apple? I mean, I do remember the apple. Yeah, because the apple had a lot of weirdly awkward ways that they were trying to talk about sex in the '60s. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess I would say that we'll come back at the end and talk about whether any of these are the most forgettable episode, but we will have forgotten by then. Maybe we'll have to uh, re-listen to our own show in order to try to remember them at some point. But by the time we're done with that, we'll have forgotten them again. Yeah. So this mm. episode is Lonely Among Us, which is a mm -hmm. particularly odd title. Slightly awkward to say. But I guess it's exactly what it says on the tin. I'm going to say I'm probably not going to be making a lot of sus jokes because I'm too yeah. old for that. Yeah, I, I've tried to play Among Us once, uh, but I mostly know it from uh, the memes. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 where I'm familiar with it as well. Yes. Uh, or as uh, some of my friends uh, uh, refer to as the Among Us, as in like there's some sort of uh, eldritch being that is the, you know, uh, combined elements of all those memes together, and it now exists separate from the game. Oh, I thought that was just going to be the clever name that they came up with for the alien intruder dude. It's the Among Us. Well, we can, we can call this uh, alien entity being the, the Among Us. Yeah, I think we could just go with that, because they never name the thing. Yes. So. <laughs> yeah, it's just the Among Us from now on. We have decided, <laughs> put it put it on memory alpha. It now has a name. It's all right. Um... <laughs> <laughs> so... <laughs> this one has uh some some characters in it um yeah it does um well first off this was s sort of written by dc fontana the uh, story writer doesn't have a lot of information around mm -hmm. but the teleplay was by dc fontana so i guess blame one of them for this basically uh, yeah you know, mike halperin uh this is the I think the only TNG episode he did, and maybe the only uh, Star Trek one. But they are responsible for some uh, other things for uh, like the Fall Guy, uh, Quincy, He Man, and the Masters of the Universe. Apparently, so oh, some of those. <laughs> yeah, like he created the uh, He Man uh, Masters of the Universe at the beginning TV movie in two thousand two. So we did have a few guest stars. Um... Sort of, they they uh, they didn't play. They played like major characters who are so unimportant to anything that's happening. 
Yes. <laughs> um, so we'll just start in the order of least surprising. Carrie Raz is playing uh, Lieutenant Singh, uh, mm-hmm. who is in a lot of pretty well-known shows, to a lot of guest stars on things like MASH and The A-Team and uh, movies like Pet Cemetery and oh, yeah. All I Want for Christmas. So been in a lot of things. Yeah, and is still uh, going about acting. Uh, some, some recent things is um, Hot Mess Holiday, uh, by Country, uh, Go North in 2015. John Durbin plays Sestar. Who, Sestar! I, I don't think they ever actually say their names in the episode. I don't, I mean, I don't think so. Uh, but they are the head delicate of the Sele, who are snake, snake dudes. Because that's why their names are all snakes. So he's also going to come back for more Star Trek later. He'll be Golamek. Yeah, he's going to play Cardassians in TNG, other aliens in DS9, even though they have a lot more Cardassians in DS9 than TNG. He was in a lot of pretty well-known 80s properties, like the A-Team, Max Headroom, which we need to get to at some point yes. <laughs> Dragul. and, and uh, smaller kind of B-movies like Return of the Living Dead do zombies count as sci-fi? it depends on what motivates your zombies alright well, we'll have to, I'll have to think about that one. and then finally yeah the, the, the big name yeah the big name who is uncredited for this episode because he didn't know how it would turn out and uh, I guess understandably so given you know what they're working with <laughs> So Mark Alamo, who's playing Bakar, it's it's N apostrophe D apostrophe D. Yes. Yeah, he's the Antican head delegate, and he kind of you know he's I guess more well known in Star Trek as of course. Gold Massette, but uh, also known as Gold Ducat, uh, who was in like a bazillion episodes of Deep Space Nine. Uh, the uh, his uh, Ducat sort of mannerisms do come through a little bit here, uh, but uh, you kind of have to be paying attention to him. Yeah, you really have to pay attention to see him under this like dog Halloween mask they basically yes. have him in. But he does have the distinction of in uh, Next Generation playing the first Romulan and first Cardassian. Indeed. So, uh, you know, obviously there's some weird cloning going on here, but, you know, you know, Romulans are, uh, you know, that's something they do, apparently. Well, you know, all, all Star Trek species are progenited from this one, that one really smooth looking alien. Yes, uh, that kind of looks like a founder, but apparently uh, they're somewhere in there. There's someone that looks like uh, Mark Lamo and, you know, so he just pops up everywhere. Yeah, I guess they wanted to forget about how bad that that one episode was that we'll get to where they discover that the origin of humanoid life. See, this is what happens. This is what happens. This is my entire criticism of new Star Trek. I am currently watching through season two of Picard. It's better than season one. But my God, you don't need to explain everything. Stop it. We didn't need to know why the French family has an English accent. Go away. Well, uh, Picard's probably still speaking French, but just with an English accent. No, didn't you watch the new one? His family got <laughs> yes. forced out of France, which is why, like, why do we need to explain this? Stop yeah. it. <laughs> oh, wow. 
We don't need to explain things. Just stop trying to explain things. It's a problem. Anyway, this there's nothing to talk about in this episode, so I'm <laughs> avoiding it entirely. This next episode. So, so is... we so we can uh, so we can complain about uh, other Star Trek three times. Yes, we will complain about all of the Star Trek and talk about how we don't understand Among Us memes because we're in our thirties. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's the main guest stars. There's a lot of other people who are also in heavy alien makeup but they sort of are interchangeable so yes oh hey uh, uh some sort of uh, security guard number one shows up here uh i wonder what he's gonna end up doing security guard number one yeah i don't even have him on the cast list that i'm looking at <laughs> yeah he, he's uh he also played uh, the the one dude on the uh, the battle bridge in the uh in the pilot Oh, is that who he's credited as in this episode? Yeah. Yeah, this is, in fact, the second appearance, the second episode of Colm Mulaney, who, you know, will later be very famous. He does have such <laughs> screen charisma. He does, like, even, like, you know who he winds up being later as a fan of the show. But even, like, the couple of scenes that he shows up in, he's a very good actor for yeah. what they're giving him in this, which is very little. <laughs> Yes, it's like, be kind of exasperated with trying to deal with these aliens. It's like, okay, I'll roll with it. <laughs> okay, so, the Enterprise has been sent to carry delegates from two planets in the same system. So, two planets, both developed independent sentient life forms. They are both trying to join the Federation, but they also hate each other. So, in the interest of peace, they're trying to take them to a neutral planet named Parliament, so that they can deal with this before they have any hope of joining the Federation, because why would anyone who is actively in hostilities with another planet be like, you know who I'm going to join is the people who are about non-hostility? Yep. This comes up a lot, in fact. Yeah, you know, there's a few other episodes in TNG especially where this is, you know, it's like, you know, you guys kind of, like, are in conflict right now. That kind of makes it hard for us to want to, like, have you join us because that means we'll also be in conflict, guys, right? Realize yeah. that, right? So the Sele, large snake aliens, who probably are the people who should have been the aliens in Code of Honor, you know, mm-hmm. uh, they're brought on board and they're immediately unhappy because they can smell that the Andekins were brought on first. I guess they have uh, very sensitive uh, tongues. Yeah, like snakes. <laughs> Also, they're going to be placed in quarters as far away from the Antikins as possible on board this ship, which is the size of a city. Yep. <laughs> so uh, you, you guys can be on, like, deck 20-something, and you guys can be on, like, deck 2. Yeah, that? like, this, this ship is the size of Manhattan. So I feel like you could let these people avoid each other if you wanted to. Back on the bridge, Picard and Riker have a thing about how they're so super enlightened that they can't even understand hostility so uh this is a uh, case of uh we're going to sort of be uh better than everyone else we meet because we're just so special yeah this is something that star trek tries to do a lot in original series they do it in the first and second season of next gen a couple times but thankfully they kind of fall off of it as a writing trope both because yeah. it's superbly stupid from a storytelling standpoint because there's nothing more unrelatable than your characters coming up and going i don't even understand this basic thing that's common to most people Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, and also it makes your characters sound stupid because you are trained diplomats yes (laughs) 
<laughs> well, I, I guess to a certain degree, this is maybe them kind of venting, but still. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it's not venting. It's not, God, I can't even understand how these people hate each other so much it's like i find hating someone else a confusing concept because humans haven't done that for hundreds of years we've never hated anyone sure sure you haven't Mm -hmm. so they decide that they're going to take a close look at a passing energy cloud on their way to parliament because you know it's right here and they do science stuff uh, before we get too far, uh, so so Parliament is very much a parallel to Babel, which is also a place that a, a, uh, the, an enterprise was taking a bunch of delegates to in uh, the original series, if you recall, also involving a story uh, you know written by D.C. Fontana. Yeah, they, they have these interestingly, very thematically named planets for this kind of thing. Which is kind of cool, but also, like, how did someone set this up originally? I would imagine that this was probably a colony. At least I hope this was, like, a colony. Like, they found an uninhabited planet. Like, this isn't a good strategic location to be, like, a diplomatic hub. We're going to name it accordingly. And they didn't just show up on some planet and go, like, hey, you guys are called Parliament now because it fits with our general sort of peacekeeping themes. Cool? No, this planet's called uh, Super Earth. Or (laughs) Parliament is one of those things where it's a word that sounds like a word in English, but actually means, you know, super cool purple planet in whatever language the planet speaks. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Hey, you know, maybe they could, uh, you know, instead of having a planet you go to, maybe like a space station in neutral territory, a... A, a place for uh, uh, diplomats, uh, wanderers, entrepreneurs, and that sort of thing, and uh, you know there could be like a like a, a some sort of project, um, like to build this, this this sort of Babylon station, you know. You could make I don't know five or so of the things. Yeah, I mean, it's an idea. I don't I don't know if anyone's really fleshed it out. Yeah, well maybe we'll have to keep watching and uh, figure out that that ever ends up happening. All right, so they pass by this gas cloud thing. Worf and Geordi are doing maintenance on the sensors, but it shouldn't interfere with them scanning the gas cloud. So they come in close, and a strange blue electrical something or other melds with the ship and winds up going into the sensors and knocks out Worf. Yes, and Worf gives us one of the most amazing faces as he gets shocked by it at the same time. So it's like, you know, Worf, uh, you're, you're kind of like just hilarious in how you're looking here even though it's clearly supposed to be a, a, a depiction of pain here. so uh, I mean, Worf can mug to the camera like nobody's business. It's great. <laughs> so Dr. Crusher runs down to check him out, but they need to sedate him because he wakes up and starts to just angrily attack everyone around him. Well, this is kind of Worf's MO, so... Yeah, eh? you know, Worf do what Worf does. So, uh, the Anticons have a misunderstanding with yar because they want live food uh which they brought on board with them but you know humans don't use animals for food anymore so people don't understand what's happening this is a weird one this is some weird vegan vegan stuff they put in the middle of the episode for some reason it's like okay cool you got the replicators to basically make magic up food wherever you like of, of basically any sort of type uh, that doesn't require actually, uh, you know, having an actual real animal product in the process, but not understanding how you came up with the concept of steak in the first place. Yeah, it's a bit weird. 
Yeah. Also, like I know there's wars and stuff in between here, but if you if you're saying like we never we no longer use the word they use is enslave, which I find like a pretty insulting way to write that. Yeah. But <laughs> even saying we no longer use animals for food purposes, like you kind of wind up with a weird thing here. I'm gonna go on a soft aside. <laughs> there's plenty of people who it. who want to eliminate animal products entirely from our food supply. There are arguments here to be had. There's definitely problems with current factory farming and the levels at which we consume certain meat products, and it does cause issues. But uh, one, most sustainable farming methods that we've been using for thousands of years rely very heavily on incorporating animals in some capacity or another. Uh, and also, we have a lot of these animals that are completely domesticated and cannot exist in the environment that you would have to decide what to do with if you want to stop using animal products entirely. Yeah, so uh, I guess uh, if we were going to stop using animal products entirely, we would have to eat all of the cows. Yeah, you would have to basically decide that you're going to eradicate all domestic cows and chickens and pigs and etc., and which is uh yeah a, a little frightening it's a lot i mean there there are a lot of things being done in horrific ways and you shouldn't be supporting factory farming in the same kind of ways that we are now i will completely say that but as a concept completely removing animals from the food supply has some major problems that are not particularly being dealt with yeah, so it's it's one of those things that's kind of like you know this is something we also need to consider as part of the uh, you know any sort of uh, way forward on this. So yeah, uh, you can't it, exactly you know let twenty thousand cows suddenly just wander out free. Though it would potentially be hilarious. I mean, it would take care of itself eventually because most domestic animals are incapable of living without some amount of human intervention. Indeed, but uh, I'm just kind of imagining it's like all right, so. Uh, we're downtown here, and there's a there's a bunch of cows here just kind of hanging out. This is awkward. Yeah, cows in the middle of the road. So anyway, soft aside over. We can move on. Forgot there was weird weird vegan animal rights messaging in the middle of this thing, though. So in sick bay, Crusher starts working on Worf, uh, and then she is hit by the blue electric stuff. Worf normalizes immediately. Ah, doctor, uh, I appear to have been uh, zapped. Uh, what's up? Yeah. Uh, Crusher just walks away, wanders off. <laughs> uh, doctor? <laughs> and it turns home to Wesley, who's excited to get to talk about warp theory for a while, but she mumbles about helm control and then wanders away. So uh, I, I think this might be a, a, should be a tip-off because, you know, Crusher being, you know, you know Beverly being, uh, you know, interested in what Wesley's actually doing is... Uh, a little suspicious mm -hmm. which is so sad the way that they characterize wesley on this show is yeah, so sad he's just a little nerdy kid who wants to talk about warp fields and it's like yeah it's nice shut up yeah it's like she he really needs uh someone to like be able to bounce things off of and you know maybe some sort of uh chief engineer could be his best friend for that sort of thing yeah we don't know what he's doing at the minute mr chief engineer He's mentioned in this episode later, but it doesn't yes. exist. <laughs> so Crusher wanders onto the bridge a little bit confused. Picard's annoyed that she can't explain what happened to Worf and doesn't seem to really care. Mm -hmm. And she starts looking up, she says she's going to start looking up stuff in the medical database, but she really starts looking at helm control 
and then the blue electricity leaves her and goes into the computer, which makes her immediately be confused and run off back to her office. I appear to have wandered onto the bridge somehow. That's weird. Now, I do feel like if you're, you know, a ranking officer on the ship, and you suddenly wind up in a place you have no idea how you got to, you might want to mention it to someone. Yes. Uh, this might still be the crew still trying to gel, and maybe Crusher doesn't know how to react in this situation, given, you know, these are all new people she's kind of getting used to being around. But even still, this should be a massive red flag. So she leaves. The console data's working at stops. Uh, so does the one next to it. Then the warp drive st shuts down. And then the transporter shuts down. Everything's turning mm. off, basically. Yeah, well, that's awkward. Uh, I guess we're not going to make it to Parliament in time. Uh, Lieutenant Singh from Engineering is brought up to explain these malfunctions, and he can't. There's some sort of roving electrical short happening in the system, but none of the systems are actually connected. So, uh, wait, there's no EPS conduits. Maybe that's our problem. So they have no actual information, and Singh is just told to fix the problem in sort of an unfair way, but... I guess he's one of the engineers, so, you know, go off. <laughs> like, all right, I guess I'll uh, do all of this by myself. Meanwhile, the Antikins are at it again because they were found outside of the Sele corridors with weapons. But, you know, not <laughs> weapons, tools for killing animals. How silly yes, to uh, think they're weapons. Yes, uh, we were just going to go collect our food animals, and uh, we just happened to drop by over here. Yeah. No. <laughs> You know, they're doing hilarious hijinks off over there. As that's one of the things that makes this episode so forgettable, is like the the Sale and Antican B plot is this weird comedy skit aside that doesn't even mildly connect to anything else that's going on. It's just sort of an annoyance for the crew. Yeah. <laughs> they it, kinda it, treat it like that there, too. There's no there's no tie in to the A story of the episode. There's no thematic similarity. There's, there's nothing. It's it's just there. Well, it does give them uh, an excuse to uh, for the the uh, everyone in the B plot to sort of complain. It's like we're not getting there fast enough, guys. Yeah, but they don't even particularly seem to care. Yeah. So the ship continues to break down. Um, Data realizes that it would be impossible for the ship to have lasted this long if it was this broken. Mm -hmm. So there must be someone doing it. They have a saboteur on board. So Picard makes an offhand reference that will change the course of Star Trek history. That they need a private investigator. Data goes, what's mm. a private investigator? And they go, oh, you know, like Sherlock Holmes. It's like, ooh. Huh, I might have to investigate this. <laughs> Maybe get myself a prop. <laughs> so an engineering Wesley is helping Singh work. Uh, they have a breakthrough. He's like, hey, look at that. And then Wesley's sent away to do schoolwork because Wesley's never allowed to take credit for anything, which is another yes. thing. They treat him pretty bad, honestly. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, people do complain about Wesley being sort of the, uh, the, the, the wonder kid who saves the ship all the time. But also the crew kind of crap on him all the time. Yeah. Because they don't, don't, they don't want to give him any credit. Don't so. let him work on the thing if you're going to just kick him out as soon as anything happens. Yes. <laughs> so he wanders off to complain to his mother, who doesn't remember anything that they said to each other earlier in the day or that she saw him at all. 
who, just like Worf, can't remember what happened to him before. They both have memory blackouts. Mom, did you just randomly fall down like Worf did? Uh, no, I was still standing up when I got possessed. <laughs> you got so, possessed? What? <laughs> <laughs> that happens to people on this ship a lot. They're used to it. So Singh continues to work on the warp drive, and then the blue electricity thing hits him, and he falls down next to the warp core where Worf finds him, and he's dead. Oh, no! It's going to be a while before we have someone uh, from Indian Heritage uh, in a crew ruleful, aren't we? Yep. And we killed killed one so yeah. turns out the warp drive is fixed and even wesley knows that singh couldn't have fixed it in the time that he was working on it because he was right there but everyone's like who cares it's fixed seems like a weirdly <laughs> irresponsible way to look at this situation <laughs> yes yeah it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a scientist myself here sometimes it's nice when things just start working but you have to be suspicious about why they just start working because that probably means that there's a problem that will crop crop up just sort of randomly later down the road and you'd be prepared for it so more testing is necessary but parliament so at this point it's obvious that it's not only a saboteur on board but a murderer and of course the place to start is with the non-crew so they interrogate the antikins i guess the antikin makeup must have been easier because they get a lot more screen time Yes, well, was, yeah, they're both kind of just big rubber masks to a degree, but maybe they were easier to put on or something. They claim that the entire time they were eating an animal. A very big, interesting animal. Yes. Like, all night. Takes a while. Yeah. So, Data, in Sherlock Holmes mode, complete with pipe, walks them through the timeline that when Singh died, the Delicates were heading towards each other. So... They weren't, they were lying. They weren't in their quarters, but they also were nowhere near engineering. They were wandering around and collecting medical supplies because <laughs> they're much too interested in killing each other to try to kill any of them. Which, uh, I guess, hooray for the crew? <laughs> yeah. We got murderers on board, but they're not trying to murder us, so it's fine. <laughs> so in sick bay, uh, Troy tries hypnosis on Worf and Dr. Crusher to see if they can remember what happened during their lost memories. Uh, both of them say exactly the same thing, that there was something in their minds controlling them completely. That's awkward. This confirms it since, as Data says, it can't be any of the delegates, and it also can't be any of the crew, which means there's something else on board doing all of this. And just then, mm -hmm. the bridge starts to break again as if to prove his point. Well, I guess we didn't really need to actually figure this out because we got obvious evidence now mm -hmm. picard comes to look at the helm and blue electricity jumps up his arm then everything suddenly works again and he orders them to turn around and head back to the energy cloud that's not suspicious at all so data crusher troy and Riker are concerned because picard's acting weird and has ordered the ship to turn around which is basically against their orders from starfleet and he's mm -hmm. probably been taken over by an alien but there's no particular reason to remove him from command because he's not really putting the ship in danger and they can't prove that he's taken over by an alien without really going into a whole mutiny thing wait whether well, there's a surefire way to tell if he's been uh, you know taken over by some some alien entity if he starts singing and he's not trying to uh capture data at the same time that's a surefire sign so they confront picard he says that they're the crazy ones and orders that they all undergo physical and psychiatric exams. I wonder if they, do they, do they actually do that? 
they maybe they come back with results later <laughs> i suspect maybe crush is like yeah this is silly i'm just gonna copy your old results <laughs> on the way back to sickbay though Riker is grabbed by one of the silly with a like neck catcher doodah like you know the an like animal control uses yes that's fun it's also fluorescent green i kind of like it it's a neat neat looking prop mm -hmm. crusher returns with the exams and asks if picard's in there but he's like yeah but also something more and we're gonna be home soon so i guess they did just confirm that he's been taken yeah. over by an alien <laughs> they could have just asked apparently right. so uh so yeah i'm gonna go and uh back out the room here and let everyone else know what's up and we're going to not be following your orders anymore yeah. because you are obviously compromised. So they arrive at the cloud. Picard explains that a sentient entity was accidentally picked up by the ship and was, of course, terrified because it accidentally got scooped up into a weird, strange environment. Mm -hmm. Called Worf. And it, and it did accidentally kill Singh, which it very much regrets. But when it found Picard, they got along because they're both explorers and they can explore in a way that Picard never thought possible before. Uh, so, cool. He fills the bridge with electricity that apparently is very, very bright and stuns the crew and runs off with the transporter. He's become a flashbang. Yeah, so, uh, so you know, Picard's joint entity is now super-powered, and uh, it's like, I'm just going to leave here. Bye! Yeah. So he goes to the transporter room and beams himself into the cloud as energy not rematerializing. Well, that's potentially, you know, deadly for Picard. Yeah, seems like it could be. We have literally no conception of how transporters work at all, ever, so... Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe not. You know. Riker and the ship stay by the cloud for a few hours, but they have no way to know if Picard even survived this process, let alone where he would be. So they have no choice but to continue on their mission. Except just mm -hmm. then, Troy gets some emotional readings from Picard, and he's all alone, because the energy thing can't actually bring them with them the way that they thought. So they move the ship in close, hoping that he can find his way back, and a P appears on the console of the computer. P for uh, I was gonna say something else. The Picard, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so Data runs to the transporter, hoping that Picard has the same plan that they can use the pattern from his beam out to return him back into his body just before he left. So uh, hopefully, uh, Picard, as energy being, has all the uh, uh, ma uh, mass energy uh, required to rebuild his body. So. Picard from before comes back, who has no memory of what's going on, because this is the Picard from before he beamed out to the energy cloud. And so he's like, I'm a little confused. Um, did I die? And they're like, kind of, yeah, but, you know, it's fine. Yeah, you know, happens. So Yar shows up in the middle of all of this. There's blood outside the Sele quarters. The cooks have been asked to boil a reptile. And uh, Picard decides that he really does need some rest overall. And he's going to bed. Riker can deal yeah. with this. <laughs> they're, they're very much like it's like, oh yeah, that's not really a, a, a concern, Natasha. Sorry, we're we're still uh, in the in the moment of Picard's now back, and we don't have to worry about this whole murder situation. So that's it. Riker has to deal with this. B plot goes completely unresolved because it's just there. Yeah. <laughs> a plot it's the comic relief. is mostly unresolved also it's like well we got back to where we were before um yep hooray 
We returned to exactly the same place we were 15 minutes into the episode. That's a thing that happened, and uh, now let's carry on. End of episode. <laughs> yep. See, people talk about, people love to talk about how there's no character growth in Next Generation because everyone likes to talk up the semi-serialized thing that DS9 did. Mm-hmm. But, like, there is character growth in Next Generation. And episodes like this prove it because no one did or learned anything in this episode. (laughs) Which is one of the reasons that it seems so forgettable. Yes. In later episodes, they have experiences and they, like, remember them. Although I guess Data did technically have character growth. Yeah, this is true because Data picked up the the Sherlock Holmes thing, which comes up a lot. In fact, it's going to come up later this season. So what can we say about Sherlock Holmes at this point without getting too much into the, uh, I guess, the weeds there? (laughs) Oh, I did have something slightly prepared for Sherlock Holmes. So Sherlock Holmes, character thought up by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Um, He hated writing him to the point that he tried to kill him off. There was mass public outrage and he had to do the first um, massively recorded retcon in fiction history. (laughs) Whoops. <laughs> uh, possibly not. Possibly happened before. It's, you know, stuff like that in fiction is a little unclear, but possibly mm-hmm. the first serialized retcon. So uh, he he died. He came back because the people demanded it. Yep. And I did have an interesting thought that they, they have data do Sherlock Holmes a lot. And they love some of these like Occam's razor quotes and these logical things. They love using Sherlock mm-hmm. Holmes as a logic thing they mentioned him a lot because of the vulcan thing and then the way that mm-hmm. you know data is essentially a computer so thinks very logically um yes. there's a there's a complete misconception of the way that sherlock holmes functions as a character in that they say deduction a lot they cannot shut up about deduction in sherlock holmes stories yes <laughs> but he does not deduce anything in any of these stories he infers mm-hmm. he say so deduction is logically looking at a bunch of facts and them leading you to an inevitable conclusion that can only exist because of those presupposed facts inference yeah. means that you take a logic leap based on the stuff you know so uh, we have these uh you know you know potentially incomplete data but given what we know that you know these is the possibilities that are available to us and that will uh, lead us in the right direction on solving this crime. Mm-hmm. So I did grab. I was talking about this like right before I started this episode. So I actually have a quote up, which is my. This is one of my favorite kind of takedowns of Sherlock Holmes, even though it's sort of a side dig. <laughs> it's uh, it's a quote from Feet of Clay by Terry Pratchett, which is part of the Discworld series. And uh, to set it up, this is this is his detective character, Sam Vimes sort of his thought process on clues and making deductions from them okay nice uh, he had a jaundiced view of clues he instinctively distrusted them they got in the way and he distrusted the kind of person who'd take one look at another man and say in a lordly voice to his companion ah my dear sir i can tell you nothing except that he is a left-handed stonemason who has spent some years in the merchant navy and has recently fallen on hard times then unroll a lot of supercilious commentary about calluses and stance in the state of the man's boots when exactly the same comments could apply to a man who was wearing his old clothes because he'd been doing a spot of home bricklaying for a new barbecue pit and been tattooed once when he was drunk in 17 the two terms are often synonymous and in fact got seasick on wet pavement what arrogance what an insult to the rich and chaotic variety of human experience 
Because <laughs> <laughs> that characterization is sort of one of the tropes that uh, pops up uh, in uh, sort of when people are talking about uh, Holmes, especially. Uh, and that is one of those tropes that is shows up in a lot of Star Trek uh, Sherlock Holmes stories. Where, you know, Data's like, in the role of Holmes, like, I am going to look at you and say this, that, and the other thing about you. And and then the uh, the holodeck, you know, is like, no, he's actually uh, right-handed today. Whoops. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I do enjoy that later on. Like, they, they go weirdly off the rails with it. But in season two, they have that thing of Data just memorizes all the Sherlock Holmes stories. So it's time to do something new. <laughs> so yeah, that's Holmes. Anything about the author we should bring up? About Conan Doyle? Or... Yes, uh, you know, he's a, a writer, physician, probably explains why Holmes apparently knows a lot about like chemistry and stuff. Mm-hmm. Was really, really big into phrenology, which we've talked about before, which is mm-hmm. actually why Holmes is described as looking so weird uh, with a particularly like long, narrow head because he took the stuff that should describe the personality that he wanted from phrenology and then like put it onto the character description. What does the shape of the head just tell me about my character? Oh no, what's the reverse that? What does my character tell you about the shape of his head? <laughs> yes. Because you could do that with phrenology. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so it's bunk science. Uh, we've yeah. already talked about that. Complete bunk science. <laughs> Though reminds me of another thing since I was just bringing up a Discworld quote, there's an aside in one of his other books that um, they embrace phrenology in the Discworld city and then a service pops up to bash you on the head with a hammer and change the shape of your skull to give you whatever personality you wanted. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds horribly dangerous. <laughs> so anyway, that's I should just start a Discworld podcast at some point. Now we, we can do uh, more stuff about uh, you know Conan Doyle and uh, you know, his, I guess, complicated life. Because, uh, you know, he is a sir, so he got knighted to uh, mm-hmm. something about uh, Boer Wars or something like that. Yeah, I think so. He was, you know, he was in the military. Like, he's got basically Watson's backstory. Um, doctor, really big into spiritualism, which was very, very popular at the time. And um, also wrote the dinosaur book. Dinosaur? <laughs> Lost World, which is the spawn of so many, so much dinosaur fiction and so much colonialist bull yeah <laughs> so uh he was uh, very much a uh a a fellow who was uh of his time you could say very british empire is gonna do the thing yeah you know he was of his time which is the polite way we have of saying that people used to be way racist yeah so probably not a good person yeah but you know he created one of the most uh enduring literary characters in human history Yes, uh, that's uh, Holmes is uh, sometimes credited as being one of the uh, most portrayed characters in all of fiction. Wouldn't surprise me. Not entirely uh, sure if that's true, but it's, it's it's probably up there at the very least. One of those things that's difficult to track. Peter Cushing ever play Holmes? I think he might have. There is an interesting thing that occurred to me with this last bit of the episode with, with Picard being sent out. Because I'm sure anyone who is involved in the Star Trek fan stuff has seen this fun hot take that keeps going around the star trek communities at various times that the transporters are actually killing people yes <laughs> like the, what the transporter does is basically just kill you on one end and clone you on the other yeah i'm reminded of i believe a um i think it's a canadian cartoon uh like a one-off short where basically there's uh someone shows up it's like 
I have a teleporter and it will uh, move you from one place to another. And then someone's like, okay, so how does this actually work? Well, it creates a new you and destroys the previous one. But what if you delay the destruction of the previous one? Can I hang out with myself? Uh, sure, but we gotta destroy one of you at some point. Okay, let's 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 do that then. Let's uh, see how this works out. <laughs> and, and, the, and the argument ends up being like, wait, so this is the new me. So does that mean things like all my bills they're, they're they are owed by someone who's now dead? Cool. That was that. What was that clone show on Netflix? was recommended on one of our movie episodes well there was clone high no was oh living with yourself huh living with yourself is basically that concept i did watch it it was recommended on one of our movie episodes by our guest and i watched it and it is quite good and worth checking out if you have netflix i'll have to keep an eye out for it but what occurred to me with this episode and it's it's pretty synonymous with how they show transporters actually working in the show which is interesting how, you know, it's very convenient for the people trying to do these gotcha hot take Star Trek theory videos that they want to stick entirely to the text of the show when they're trying to talk about how many people Kirk has slept with. But when they want to talk about the transporters being murder machines, they can completely ignore it. <laughs> I'm not bitter at anyone. <laughs> well, I, I think that, uh, you know, later in TNG, we do sort of have a first person perspective of it. That it's sort of like you're being, I guess, pieced, you know, you're taken apart and, you know, put back together in a very sort of continuous fashion. Uh, so it's almost like you're kind of in both places at once for a little bit. But, uh, but still, that also means you're being taken apart and put back together. Well, we have several times where they show that you remain conscious through the entire process. Yes. Which kind of, <laughs> that kind of continuity kind of negates the you get killed and reconstructed idea but also this where they're saying that they are sending out his energy and then not recombining it on the other end which essentially mm -hmm. like you can get into theological arguments with this on some level but essentially what this is saying and how the transporters are shown to function in star trek is that they're dealing with the human soul. Yep. <laughs> Whatever quintessential essence of humanity that they believe will remain when you remove all material from the human is what the transporter is sending from one place to the other. So if you ever wanted to uh, steal someone's soul, you just steal their transporter pattern. Yeah, so essentially the transporters are taking whatever this is, like we don't have a better word for it, for, so it is the soul, but that can be divorced from a religious context. It's just, you know, the quintessential thing that is human inside mm -hmm. of you. And they're taking that and moving it from place to place. And all of the rest doesn't particularly matter. Now the core you, it endures. It is t tangible. It is something that can be put through a computer system and energized. <laughs> Yeah, this too, this this thing, which they've also done in Stargate and a lot of other stuff that, you know, whatever you are can be put into a computer, <laughs> just exist yeah. as energy. And I guess also to a certain extent, you know, the, there's a strong, I guess, transporter soul version of you and mind version of you are very, I guess, you know, uh, linked tightly in the, that sort of case. There's, you know, there's a reason in the game show bit I keep bringing up hard drive brain because uh, you know literally you're just you know it's like okay this is the same physical body but your brain is being completely you know taken over or placed or swapped out sort of magically 
and you know sometimes it involves transporters sometimes not um but it is very much a the full you is now being placed in this place and that independent of what happened to your body is still the you yes we've had this discussion on other things a little bit but yeah it's this idea that you can take you out of you the person and put it into something else and it will not only still be the same but maintain some sort of continuity with itself this is the picard of theseus yeah well i guess this uh, means that uh, the only uh, true uh moments when we are uh, you know fully you know not cognizant of the world in uh, star trek is when we're asleep or dead possibly yeah <laughs> it's an interesting it's an interesting one to look at because i feel like this is the this is one of those kind of like things that that you get to when everyone has a middle school understanding of science because this mm -hmm. is obviously one of these someone heard the phrase everything that happens in your body is just electricity yeah and, and then that's as far as they went <laughs> yeah which you know broadly true but only in so far as any set of electrons interacting is electricity because it's... a lot of what happens in your brain and body is chemicals and some amount of bioelectric stuff but a lot of it is chemicals yeah the uh, it's a complicated system that has multiple parts of various different sort of for better, lack of a better term uh, material components uh, you know, there's the, the physical structure of your neurons, there's the chemicals that they're sharing, there's the electrical impulses, you know, there's even things like, you know, you know, pressure and, uh, you know, oxygen levels and, uh, you know, sort of little, you know, extra details like that. Uh, temperature also uh, affects things. And, you know, if your brain is not well taken care of on all these sort of uh, fronts, you know, it starts, you know, acting up and all that sort of thing. And, you know, the you that is, you know, you, you know, can, you know, I guess, uh, you know, experience all of this, but you're going to be having a bad time because you suddenly don't quite feel like yourself. And I can accept, I can definitely accept the sort of conceit of a lot of science fiction that there could exist some sort of in like intelligent thing that we would consider a life form that is made entirely of energy because it's energy that is coalesced into a particular way or pattern that is able to take on the characteristics that we think of as alive which we have a very mm -hmm. dubious grasp on to be clear we have no idea we have no particularly good working definition of alive but yes. you know we could <laughs> wind up with an energy thing that is close enough that we would consider it to be such Heck, a friend of mine has an original character that is uh, basically uh, a a dirty plasma <laughs> <laughs> that uh, is effectively a a standing uh, you know self contained uh, plasma entity that uses um, um, uh, modes within the plasma to simulate thought, memory, and all that sort of stuff. So I think the general thing that we get mixed up and of course it's sci-fi it's all space magic but people are not that people are a complex interaction of various chemical processes that are all material we are fundamentally made of atoms and molecules which are not energy i mean everything is both in the em equals mc squared kind of way but we don't know how to detangle one from the other 
Yes. Uh, <laughs> you know, we have we still have to keep track of our leptin uh, lepton number here, uh, so uh, gotta be careful about that. It's like even if like if you could just take all of the matter in your body and turn it into energy, you would not wind up with the same thing even remotely because it would all be energy now. I would like to uh to uh be, turn myself into energy. Well, you're just gonna kind of explode, right? Yeah. Uh, wait. Is that how it works? Unless yes. you do it oh. slowly, which I guess then you are on fire. You know, you could slowly oxidize. I suppose that would do it. Yes. <laughs> which is largely what we're all doing anyway. Dying slowly. We are the only ones right now that are dying. <laughs> so overall, I just find it an odd conceit. And like, I I can see where you can you can use it to talk about, you know, what does make a human quintessentially a human? Is it different than other animals? Is it something inside of your body? Is it the body itself? Is there a sep is there at a fundamental level any kind of actual separation between mind and body and consciousness? We don't know the answers to these questions. They're particularly impossible, and this is a place where you can talk about those things. This episode doesn't. Um, <laughs> what gets me is when people take it as an actual serious thing because for some reason anything that's presented in science fiction is taken as a version of reality that could actually exist given the proper technology instead of a way to write about the human condition so you have a lot of people who basically believe that yes you could upload your brain into a computer the whole uh, you know i want to be a, a robot uh, so i can live forever situation which doesn't make a lot of sense to me i mean i'm not saying there couldn't be some sort of technology that could eventually do something that could mimic thought processes or brains or whatever but it would probably also work fundamentally differently from how your brain does yeah i think maybe the uh, the best way forward there is a supplemental sort of structure where you know okay my brain is uh, getting kind of up in years and uh, you know there's been, you know some of the processes are breaking down maybe i'll get like a, a, a an implant chip that will start acting as my backup memory or something like that and uh you can sort of, you know, ship a thesis yourself with no robot existence, <laughs> but, you know, that's going to be a much more complicated process than I'm going to put electrodes on my head and go. You have to see where you wind up with, too. I mean, you do wind up with an interesting thing in the ship of Theseus brain situation. If you slowly replace every part of your brain with a computer, at what point is it no longer human? Does that carry over? How does that function? We can't actually do anything remotely close to that now, so we don't wind up in this situation. Well, it's, it's maybe something interesting to think about, and there is kind of an episode of Star Trek uh, uh, Deep Space Nine that kind of tackles this to a degree. Yeah, a little bit. But, like, we don't actually no. know... We don't know enough about how something is fundamental to what we can tend, consider to be our contiguous existence as memory functions... We have no idea how memory functions in your brain, where it's stored, how it's stored, the processes that allow it to be stored or recalled. And so it is fundamentally impossible to do anything with it. And memory is the one thing that we usually would consider to be the most contiguous to our mental existence. Those uh, strings of uh, chemicals that are uh, you know, the, the you know, encrypted data that is what we have experienced, our lives past that inform our present. And how in the world would you even store that? It's not just information. Like, yeah. <laughs> everything that we do know about memory recall is that it's basically you making it up again every time you remember it. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I'm kind of reading this, but 
at the same time, if the interpretation part of my brain has changed, the memory is going to come out a little different. Yeah, it'd be like if every time you opened a picture on your computer, instead of reading out every single, you know, pixel point and decompressing it in however it's been compressed and giving you exactly the same picture every time, the computer like had a vague idea of what the picture was supposed to look like and recreated it from scratch every single time you opened it. It's like those uh, deep learning uh, websites where it's like, I want a picture of this and it gives you a, you know, so you, you put in Bart Simpson and suddenly there's some spiky hair here. There's now three eyes and four legs and that's Bart Simpson apparently. I know that's probably a lot closer to how a computer would remember things in the same way that we do. As if you told the computer to just remake it from a neural net every single time. Yes. <laughs> I should show you the Bart Museum sometime. <laughs> I've played with a lot of those neural neural picture thingies. They're very fun and off-putting. Yes. <laughs> All right. Did you have much elsewhere about an hour? Oh uh, no, not really. Uh, you know, I guess uh, we could. You know, I could ponder a bit about. You know, okay. So what if someone's just died, but you have their transporter pattern? Can you bring them back to life? But yeah, no. That Star Trek really never does that. So you know. They don't, but they seem to they seem to infer that if you like started with a dead body it wouldn't work. You need the base whatever it is. So even mm -hmm. if you had a recent pattern, you couldn't like beam up the dead body and get back an alive one. Yeah. <laughs> or uh let's say uh someone say you know suffers a horrible injury and they lose a leg. If you beam up them and their severed leg at the same time, could you reattach it that one's a bit iffy because they do have <laughs> cases where they can cure diseases and other things yes so there's a lot of sort of mystery and magic with the transporter that is not well explained but i guess we have certain rules that are just sort of implied and we're not supposed to think about it too much yeah i mean as with all star trek space magic yep <laughs> space magic Roll up for the mystery tour? Yeah. Should we sing again? <laughs> <laughs> the only thing I remember about making the song for that episode is every the only comments that we got were, I don't know what this song is. And I somehow thought the Beatles were a little more universal than that. <laughs> well, this is you know, one of the Beatles' lesser known tunes, but you know. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. I guess I had that album when I was a kid, so I it was very well known to me. Well, maybe we can uh, slowly introduce people to the full discography of the Beatles. Beatles cast. So today's episode, uh, episode is, is uh, sponsored by the Yellow Submarine. All right, we're completely off the rails. This was a freaking nothing episode to begin with. So time to move on to the galaxy's favorite game show. Hey everybody, welcome to the game show portion of the show. Uh, you're all looking quite beautiful today. Um, even you, Mr. Energy Being. Hello. <laughs> uh, we got our various contestants here have lined up and got themselves uh, some, uh, some, some points. They've uh, been answering questions, going on some uh, physical uh, obstacles, and apparently trying to murder each other too. Hmm. Maybe you have to do something about that. But it's time to start handing out the prizes for today's episode, so let's get started. The first one is the Hard Drive Brain Prize, which goes to everybody that got possessed by the energy being, because apparently just overlaying completely different personalities over a human brain is just that easy. What did they win, Capwin? Wait, 
They know this is happening. All This happens all the time in Star Trek. They need one of those inception machines so that they can go in and install the personal firewall thing like they do in there. <laughs> you know, have a you know the the, uh, the a bunch of guys with guns just sort of randomly showing up whenever another alien kind of enters the brain. The alien's like, "Oh crap! I didn't think this is that kind of brain. I gotta go." Oh. Our second prize is the Silly Primitives Prize, which goes to Antikins and Sele, for being the awkward comic relief, trying to murder each other, and generally looking down on the crew in the most head-scratching of ways. Yeah. Anyway, what do they win, Gepwin? Oh, yeah, they win a sitcom-style episode on Lower Decks, because it's, it's amazing to me that these two have not shown up on Lower Decks yet. I think at least one of them may have shown up as a background character, but I'm not remembering it fully at the moment. It could have been a different alien. Anyway, our third prize is the To Die is Logical prize, which goes to Picard, maybe? Though the entity may have just been lying about Picard being totally on board with the whole suicide adventure. What does Picard win this time, Gepwin? I mean, Picard seems to get this, but he wins more therapy because... Seems like a pretty traumatic experience. Though maybe he doesn't need it now since they just wiped his memories of the whole thing and he can forget about it. Hmm. Well, uh, hopefully he doesn't uh, wake up in the middle of the night uh, with memories of being uh, pulled apart and uh, deposited in a gas uh, energy cloud thing, Majig. Because uh, that might be, a, you know, kind of a thing that would haunt you over time. Hmm. They should also really put one of these things in the transporter because this is way too easy to do. And they can beam people into space. Like, the transporter should probably have some sort of safety check to make sure where you're going is okay. Yes. Because <laughs> uh, I do recall uh, that time uh, Kirk kind of accidentally beamed some people into space that one time. Yeah. Anyway, our final prize is the Elementary Watson Prize, which goes to Data for being introduced to Sherlock Holmes for the first time. The first of many times we'll be running into that. Data wins. A retcon where he looked like he was dead and then suddenly they retcon it to where he's not dead, but I guess, the, I mean, they sort of already did that, so never mind. <laughs> Data, the uh, dead but not dead android of the future. Hmm. Yeah, that's all I got, Gepwin. Uh, our various other contestants uh, were unable to uh, score any points, so I guess we've got to get out of here. Uh, maybe we'll, Maybe they'll have better luck at Parliament. Yeah, we'll head off to Parliament and do whatever it is you do there. Apparently settle long-running racial disputes. Hmm. Oh, thank you all Indeed. for coming. We avoided talking about racism for an entire episode, mostly, Barely. except for with Conan Doyle. <laughs> so I guess, yeah, I guess we just lost the let's try not to talk about racism for once prize. Anyway, hmm. thank you for joining us on the Galaxy's Favorite Game Show! <laughs> Woo! So is it Parliament like a Funkadelic band or something? Might be. Yeah, but Parliament Funkadelic. It's an American funk music collective of rotating musical heads by George Clinton. Oh, I see now. All right, fun. Uh, this is one of the most forgettable episodes of the first season and probably Star Trek generally. Uh, mm -hmm. But the next episode is one of the ones that everyone remembers for 
A variety of reasons. Some some say that it actually is one of the better ones of the first season that brings up some good themes and stuff. Some people say it has a really stupid concept and remember it for being just kind of dumb. And some people remember it because it's one of those episodes that centers Wesley as the entire crux of the episode. And he, well, this time he's not really saving the ship. He's in a, a very different role, sort of. Yeah, he doesn't save anything. In fact, he puts himself in unnecessary danger. Yes, uh, because uh, planet of pre-warp civilization has weird laws, apparently. Yeah, very weird. This, this entire episode doesn't make any sense on any level, but, mm-hmm. you know, we'll get into it. Next episode, <laughs> we're doing Justice. I don't know, it's the episode where they try to kill Wesley. Yep. <laughs> so uh, we'll see if uh, he manages to survive. Yeah, look Probably. forward yeah. to us having a very detailed depressing talk about judicial systems hmm yes wish us luck yeah next time on watchers of tomorrow next time on watchers of tomorrow there is no justice you have been listening to watchers of tomorrow a podcast on science fiction media Find and follow Watchers of Tomorrow on Podbean, YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, Spreader, Digital Podcasts, and perhaps many more to come. If you enjoy our podcast, make sure to subscribe for more. And where possible, make sure to rate your experience or leave us a review. You may find Gepwin on youtube.com slash Gepwin and Twitter at Gepwin. You may find me, Dr. Isix, on youtube.com slash drisix, and Twitter at IsixLP. Music is Waveform and Mori's Principle, both by DRKRN. You can also check out the Watchers of Tomorrow Discord channel. Make sure to share the experience with your friends, family, enemies, and alien overlords. If you feel you are suffering from transporter syndrome, Please be aware that the next time you step off the transporter, that you, that is now, no longer exists. <laughs> <laughs>